Well, thank you very much to the Cummings family for, for leading us in those prayers. Uh, this is the point at which uh, if any of uh, the younger ones uh, want to be uh, heading out, I think Darren's done some more brilliant activities uh, for you to get involved with. And if uh, you want to be doing those, uh, then why not grab those and find a space uh, to be at that. Uh, and while you're doing that, um, I'm just going to say a few words by way of, of kind of setting the scene uh, for these next three Sundays that we've got together. Because if you're with us, you'll, you'll know that our, our regular pattern Sunday by Sunday um, is to, to take a bit of the Bible uh, and work our way through it. Uh, take a book from the Bible and, and bit by bit uh, ask ourselves, what, what is it that God seems to have to say to us uh, from that particular part of the Bible? And we've been doing that recently uh, with, um, uh, with Haggai, uh, with Daniel, uh, we did it with one of the letters in the New Testament, 1 John. So normally, uh, we move, as it were, from, from Bible to life. But every now and again, we move in the opposite direction. Uh, we move from life to Bible. We start, in other words, with, with some aspect of, of our experience. Uh, one of the things that, that comes at us in this world um, and, then, and then we ask ourselves, well, what is it that God seems to say in the Bible about that particular human experience? And, and both of those moves are needed, aren't they? If it's all Bible and no life, then, then we end up kind of lost in abstract doctrine, theology that's disconnected from real life, uh, concepts with no connections uh, to life as it's actually lived. But, but if it's all life and no Bible, then we end up lost inside our own thinking, dominated by, by our way of looking at things or, or our world's way of looking at things, um, and never making the move to connect ourselves with God's life-giving word to us. We need both. Sometimes uh, making the move from Bible to life, sometimes from life to Bible. Well, th this particular series, uh, this week and the next couple of Sundays, um, we're, we're making uh, that second type of move from life to Bible. And, and the particular experience that we are launching from is that of disappointment. Uh, an all co too common human experience and one that seems pretty apt at the moment. Uh, this has been a year full of disappointments, hasn't it? Uh, gap years. Uh, have been cancelled, weddings have been postponed, summer holidays have been abandoned. Uh, this church, uh, our church, has gone viral, has gone virtual, not viral, wish it had gone viral, but it hasn't, it's gone virtual. Face-to-face -face contact has been lost and, and relationships have been put on hold. Uh, disappointment is all around us, isn't it? D disappointed that I can't visit my family, disappointed that I can't socialise with my friends, uh, disappointment that lockdown just goes on and on and on uh, with uh, no clear end sometimes in sight. Uh, and many disappointments are like that. They're, they're sort of they're the frustrations of life uh, that get in the way of us enjoying uh, life as we want to. But of course, uh, other disappointments are rather more pervasive than that. Uh, maybe a disappointment with our work, our, our career, 
if we're disappointed with our appearance, disappointed with our family. Sometimes the disappointment we feel touches at things that are at the very heart, the very center of our lives. We might be disappointed with our marriage or our parents or our church. Disappointed perhaps that marriage has never come for us or disappointed that children have never arrived. Disappointed that this sickness never seems to go away. Disappointed, perhaps finally, even with God. Well, well what then? What if, is it, what if it's that measure of disappointment that we're experiencing in our lives? Because they have the capacity to be life-dominating, shaping everything about the way that we live our life. And, and platitudes like, cheer up, it could be worse, or tomorrow's another day, simply won't do, will they? Uh, they're fine for, for flat tyres and a missed appointment. But, but they're not good enough for a marital affair or a disabled child. What then of God? If we bring this aspect of our lives, our experience of disappointment, and we bring that and let God speak to it from his word in the Bible, what, what will he say to us? Well, over the next three weeks, uh, that's exactly what we're going to try and find out. Um, but before we turn to a bit of the Bible, to begin to do that, um, can I issue a health warning? We're not going to get very far today. Uh, really, all we're going to do is, is notice the shape of disappointment, how it seems to work, um, and some of the different ways that we try to manage it. So there's a very real chance that at the end of our time together today, at the end of this service, uh, you'll, be, um, you'll be mostly disappointed by just how little progress we've made. But if that is the case, would you, would you kindly see it as a, as a masterstroke of experiential learning that I've delivered for you? Anyway, before, um, before that present-day experience of disappointment, uh, let's turn to um, an ancient one uh, by turning to Luke chapter 24. Uh, and just to set the context before Ben reads, um, we're, we're arriving um, three days uh, after Jesus' death and burial. Uh, and we're joining two disciples on the road uh, to Emmaus, uh, unaware uh, what we have already become aware of in the early part of this chapter, that Jesus is risen. And on the road, though they're kept from recognizing him, as we'll see, on the road, Jesus himself draws alongside. Uh, let me pray. Uh, and then we'll look at this part of the Bible together. Uh, Father God, as we turn to your word now, uh, and as we seek uh, this week and the next couple of weeks, uh, to, to try and think uh, clearly uh, about, uh, about the struggle and the experience that we have uh, of disappointment so often in life, uh, please would your spirit uh, uh, take your word 
uh, take our time together and uh, use it for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, if you've got a Bible there, open out with me. And uh, as Steve said, we're going to look at Luke chapter 24. And we're going to start at verse 13 through to 27 on the road to Emmaus. That's Luke 24, starting at verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in, the, in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us that they went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us what they had seen, a vision of angels who had said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. The Bible, and when you think about it, is positively full of disappointment. Uh, Abraham and Sarah, disappointed when God's promise takes so long to be fulfilled. The people in the wilderness, <coughs> disappointed by the, by the constant manna. Then Moses, disappointed with the people for grumbling about their disappointment. Naomi, disappointed by bereavement. Hannah, disappointed by barrenness. Samuel, disappointed with Saul. Jeremiah, disappointed with, well, just about everybody. On and on it rumbles, right into the New Testament. When, when even Jesus himself, it almost seems, is disappointed. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus said. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Because what is disappointment, finally? Well, disappointment's the thing that we experience when something or someone doesn't turn out the way that we had expected, the way that we had hoped. That's what's happening here in Luke chapter 24. You look at verse 21 where we read that the disciples, still not knowing who it was that they were speaking to, they say, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. 
That, that's what they'd expected. That they'd expected victory, redemption, the overthrow of their enemies. And instead, what did they get? Betrayal and trial and crucifixion and death. You see, it was as though that they had expectation A right up here. And then reality right down here. And that gap between expectation and reality, well, that's the trigger for disappointment. And you see the result in verse 17. They stand still, their faces downcast. Serious disappointment does that. It leads us into despondency and despair. All because things aren't as we expected them to be. It's a funny thing though, isn't it? Because in a sense, the same event can be two different things to two different people, depending upon their, what they'd expected beforehand. I mean, think about a cloudy day. Well, if on your cloudy day you had been expecting a gloriously sunny one, well, you're disappointed. But if you're expecting it to rain all day, then your cloudy day is actually quite a delight. It stays dry. Disappointment is, is just that gap between what we'd expected and what turns out to be the case. Okay then, easy. The solution then is to correct our expectations. And isn't that exactly what Jesus does? He explains to the disciples that if they'd read their Bibles properly, then they'd have seen this coming all along. It's there in verse 25. How foolish you are. How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So there you go. Get your expectations right and disappointment disappears. Easy. End of talk. We can take the next couple of weeks off. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Of course, it's not so easy, is it? Doesn't work like that. Because what if my expectation is a good thing, a right thing? like expecting my husband to be faithful or expecting my pastor to be godly or expecting my child to be born healthy. But those are right and proper things to expect, aren't they? It would be, it'd be bizarre to expect your spouse to be unfaithful to you, to, to expect your pastor to abuse you, to, to, to expect, to, to go through your whole pregnancy anticipating a disabled child. It'd be weird to do that. And therefore, because we, because we live in a, in, a, in a broken world, a fallen world, because we live in a world where, where things aren't as they should be all the time, disappointment's inevitable. There are times when things go wrong, when, when they depart from what is good and right. And in that sense, we, we will be, we should be, at times in our lives, disappointed. But, but how will we handle disappointment? 
But as you will know from your own experience and, and, and seeing in the world around you, that there are many different ways of dealing with the experience of disappointment. Uh, many of them, though, turn out to be false trails. Um, let's look at some of the ways in which we can take mistaken paths in our experience of disappointment. Uh, here's the first. Uh, the path that takes us into pessimism and despair. Uh, this is the person who, who lives under a cloud of doom and gloom, always anticipating trouble. I don't know, you could think, um, think Charlie Brown in Peanuts or Eeyore in Winnie the Pooh. A constant low-grade gloominess, driven by the conviction that, that even if life is okay now, pretty soon it's going to get terrible. This is a way of kind of managing disappointment by almost getting to it in advance, anticipating it before it arrives. And if, if you have in your life been hit by sadness after sadness after sadness, you can see that this kind of might make sense. Uh, and you wouldn't say that it's entirely consistent with Paul's instructions to, to rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. You, you wouldn't say that if we declare that God is good and, and, and lavish in the outpouring of his grace upon us, but then we navigate life as a grumpy malcontent. You wouldn't say, would you, that, that, that we're, we're living out our faith in the way that you might hope or want? Well, there's a first false trail into pessimism and despair. Here's a, here's a second into stoicism and self-protection. This is the person who, who just won't let life get to them. No matter how deep the disaster, however hard the struggle, however painful the loss, they, they trog on regardless. Perhaps such a person has been hurt too many times, and so they refuse to allow themselves to be hurt again. There have been too many broken relationships, too many betrayals, and finally self-protection has kicked in. They've as it were, locked up their heart and thrown away the key. And though that might, in one sense, make them appear strong, it also makes them unreachable. For, for now, no one can touch them. Unmoved and unmovable. No one gets close. No, no relationships can ever really go deep. Uh, which means that the encouragement to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn, well, it's a bit of a non-starter for them. Or, or how about this? Here's another path that disappointment can take us on, the path of, of remorse and regret. At the moment, I'm remorsing and regretting that I made these slides with much more text on them, that they're almost invisible to you on the screen. We have all sorts of regrets, don't we? A life that's dominated by what-ifs and if-onlys. 
This is the kind of life that is, that is lived, as it were, gazing in the rearview mirror at what has been behind us, berating ourselves for the choices we made, for the opportunities we missed. If only, if only I'd taken that job, if only I'd told her how I felt, if only I'd, I'd, I'd married Greg and not Gordon, if only. But, but regret paralyzes. It snares us in its grip and won't let us go. And on this path, the path dominated by remorse and regret, we can be deaf to God's words of forgiveness. Deaf to the assurance of his good purposes. Deaf to the reality that, that God knew every one of the choices we would make. That the, the bad as well as the good. He knew every one of them. And still, he chose us before the creation of the world. If we're a Christian believer, that's what he's done for us. Oh, how about this final false path? The polar opposite to regret. When instead of carrying all the blame ourselves and heaping it on our own shoulders, we land it on everyone else. This is the path of bitterness and blame. It could be loud and angry. It could be quietly simmering. But in one way or another, this, this path rails against the, the damage and the harm that others have done. Their disloyalty. Their betrayal. Uh, perhaps I'm disappointed by my family, disappointed by my boss, disappointed in love. And sometimes the hurt and the damage that has been done to me in the past, oh, that can be very real very wrong. But, but to choose to respond to it with this, this path of, of a bitterness that won't go away, that's a dangerous thing. Hebrews 12 warns us about that root of bitterness that can reach every part of our lives, colouring it and shaping it, hampering it, and gradually destroying it. See, disappointment is dangerous. We shouldn't underestimate the spiritual damage that it can do. But this morning our time is nearly gone. And uh, just as I warned you, disappointment is certainly looming. Because so far all we've done is, is examine some of the false paths that, that are on offer. But be before we're finished... I want us to notice that, that tucked into this passage, tucked into Luke chapter 24, are a couple of pointers at least uh, towards the territory that we're going to need to cover over the next couple of weeks. Hints of the things that can help us in the face of our disappointments. Uh, here's the first. That we should, like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, speak our disappointment to Christ. For he is eager to hear 
And did you notice that? At the very beginning, he's the one to open the conversation uh, with these two weary travelers. Verse 17, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Jesus knows, of course, what they're talking about. He knows what's in their minds and what's troubling them. But he still wants them to to tell him, to to declare their disappointment, as it were, to, to speak it out loud. It's such a simple thing, and yet so very, very powerful. Moses did it. Hannah did it. Samuel did it. Job did it. Habakkuk did it. And the psalmists, well, they're forever doing it. Finding the courage to to speak their disappointment to their God. For that is the first step to spiritual restoration. See, the Stoic tries not even to admit disappointment, never mind speak of it. Uh, The pessimist may well be speaking about disappointment a great deal, but there's no guarantee that any of that speech will be directed to God. The regretful, all too often, too much turned in on themselves to turn outward and speak to God. And the bitter, their lives so often so filled by a vision of their enemies that they can sometimes never see, uh, still less speak to their God. But it's never too late. For for there is a path out of disappointment. And it begins here with this most simple of first steps, which is to determine that I will acknowledge the disappointment that I'm experiencing and then I will speak of it in prayer to my God. And if we do do that, then it won't be long before he brings us to this second step, uh, which is to, to show us the cross. Verse 26, Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory. Uh, that's the shape of it, isn't it? Not, not, not the shape of disappointment. No, that, that's the shape of the very Christian life itself. Through suffering and to glory. And if that's the path that the Father planned for Christ our Saviour, then it shouldn't surprise us if, if that's the path also that he takes us who follow him on as well. We mustn't be surprised if God takes us through trials and hardships and, yes, even stern disappointments as he leads us towards the promise of glory. And, and whatever sense we make, of the disappointments that we endure in our lives. Whatever understanding we come to of things that have have led us down so badly, well, one of the things we can't conclude is that God doesn't care. The cross tells us that God cares. 
And indeed, it tells us the shape of God's work. That if, if the greatest tragedy, Christ crucified, can be turned by God to good purposes, then any disappointment in our lives, God can take and use in a similar way. Every one of the disappointments that we face, God can and will use, if only we will let him. Well, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to see some of the ways in which he does that. Some of the ways in which God works so that even the worst of our disappointments become the means for the maturing of our faith for our good and for God's glory. Now let me lead us in a prayer. Our Father God, um, as we gaze again upon the cross, as, as we walk, as it were, with these disciples on the road to Emmaus, uh, full of their disappointment that things weren't as they expected them to be, uh, we discover that in the midst of this, you were at work. Uh, you were accomplishing nothing less uh, than redemption itself. Uh, Father, would you persuade us uh, that in each and every one of the disappointments in our lives, uh, you who are sovereign, even if we are utterly unable to see it, uh, you are working out your purposes. And Father God, in, in our bewilderment sometimes, uh, would, we, would we cry out to you? Would we plead with you for your help? And would we know your strength and your comfort? And would you make it uh, for the maturing of our faith? And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.